Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. The way you treat prayer at times, God is a vending machine that you want immediate answers. We often approach God that way, if we're honest with ourselves. So I've got a question to ask this morning. How is your prayer life? Do you struggle with prayer? Do you need help with prayer? So over the past few weeks in the Gospel of Luke, we've been looking at Jesus. He told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Last week we saw Mary and Martha, the contrast between the two sisters. And so today we launch into chapter 11, which is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And so over the next few weeks, I want us to go slowly through this together as we study the Lord's Prayer as a church family. So let's read it together. I read it earlier during our children's catechism time, but let's read Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now I find it very interesting what they don't ask Jesus for here. In help. They don't say, Jesus, teach us how to do miracles. Jesus, teach us how to do evangelism. Jesus, teach us how to use our spiritual gifts. Jesus, teach us how to do VBS. Jesus, teach us how to do youth ministry. Now, it, it doesn't mean that the disciples didn't ask those questions, but I find it very interesting that the one thing they asked Jesus to be taught in is prayer. Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Do you pray as often as you, as you should? Do you and I need to be taught to pray? What is prayer? And why is prayer such hard work? We need to be taught to pray. You may think, well, I'm an expert in prayer. Let me tell you, your pastor's not an expert in prayer. I struggle in prayer just like you struggle in prayer. Prayer's hard work. I'm not an expert, but over the next 30 days, I want us to go on a journey together as a church family. And so I've developed and written a 30-day prayer journey that will take us through 10 recorded prayers in the Bible. And so it'll be available on the resource table after the service, plus it'll be on Facebook every day. It'll be on the church's Facebook, it'll be on my Facebook if you want a digital um, copy of that as well. So it will be looking at 10 recorded prayers. And here's the point, you cannot go wrong when you pray the prayers in the Bible back to the Lord. 
You know you're in good company when you're praying what they actually prayed in the Bible. So you can pick that up after the service. It starts tomorrow. You can go on the church's Facebook. If you want a digital copy, let me know and we can email you a PDF. But the Bible is very clear that we need to be praying, a praying people. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints, praying at all times. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians 4, verse 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. It's all throughout the scriptures, this call to pray. Martin Lloyd-Jones has said this about prayer. He says, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. Do you believe that? You're at your highest and greatest when you're on your knees face to face before your God. It's important from time to time for us as a church family to go through a a concentrated focus together. And so for the next 30 days, we're going to be focusing on prayer. And as you look at the first couple of, about first five or six chapters in the book of Acts, that marked the early church. Prayer was the dominant theme. They devoted themselves to prayer. Acts 1.14, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. That's how Acts starts. They're devoting themselves to prayer. That key word, devoting, it means there was an intensity. There was an intentionality. There was an eagerness. There was an earnestness, a passion. Acts 2.42, same word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to the prayers. And then in Acts 6 verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So we as a church family, let this be our heartbeat. Lord, teach us to pray. Maybe you think you know how to pray. I think if we're honest with ourselves, all of us can get help in how do we pray. And so Jesus gives us the model prayer here, the Lord's Prayer. And so before we actually dive into the prayer itself, I want to address a couple of introductory issues about the Lord's Prayer. Now, this is not as comprehensive as Matthew's in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Luke's version, but since we're going verse by verse through Luke, we're going to focus in on Luke's gospel. But this is the first thing I want us to understand about this prayer. Jesus gives us a perfect model, not only of how to pray, but of what to pray for. You want to know how to pray and what to pray for, here's a model. How to pray, what to pray for. It's a template. It's a model. In Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 9, Jesus says, pray then like this. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven 
hallowed be your name. Now, this is a template. This is a guide. Pray like this, in this like manner. Pray this way. It's kind of a way for you to think about, as you're praying, some steps, some elements, some things that need to be included in your prayer life. How you pray and what you pray for. Because oftentimes, if we're honest, I appreciate Dwayne, one of our elders, me sharing that. How many, of you time, how many times have you sat down to say, Lord, um, bless so-and-so. Lord, bless me. Lord, do this. And, and, and you just kind of say, um, bless. And, and your mind kind of wanders. The next thing you know, you're thinking about something else. You're, you're not focused in your praying. The Lord's Prayer helps you to stay focused on what and how to pray. It's very short. Surprised at the brevity. If the disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray, and what does he give us? Look at your Bible. It's like that short. Jesus teaches to pray, and he gives them just a really short, brief model. So it's a great model. But second, this is not a passionless prayer to be recited mechanically. Some of you may have grown up in a tradition where you recite the Lord's Prayer, and all you do is you just kind of recite it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you just kind of recite it. And there's no heart, there's no passion, there's no meaning behind it. It's just kind of a mechanical thing you've learned from memory, and you just kind of repeat it. What this is, it, it causes us to pause and to think about our attitude when we pray, how we should be praying, what we should be praying. And notice too, there is an order. I want you to notice there's an order to the praying. That's very important. Sometimes we can make prayer just kind of this casual conversation between you and God. And sometimes we can define it that way. I'm not that comfortable with that. Because Jesus gives us here a model, and there's a specific order in how he tells us to pray. Third, Luke doesn't use the word our Father, but Matthew does. Because we address God as our Father, we must be unified in our prayers as members of the same family. Jesus doesn't say my Father in heaven. Now there's nothing wrong with saying my Father. He is your personal Father. But notice Jesus says our Father. There's a family togetherness in the praying. Sometimes when we pray, we can be so privatized, we can be so consumeristic, so individualistic, that all we focus in ourselves is me. Lord, give me what I want, like the vending machine video. We don't think about our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't think about our church family. We don't think about others. We think about how God is going to bless me. And so when Jesus says, our Father, He's reminding us that we're all members of the same family. We've been bought with the blood of Christ, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so our praying is not so focused on this American mentality of, of me and Jesus alone over here in a corner, and it's just my private Christian life with nobody else involved. No, there's, there's a family aspect to praying. Praying together, praying for each other. Our Father who's in heaven. That's why it's important to be a part of prayer meeting and prayer groups you know, we have Sunday night prayer meeting where we gather together. It's a fairly small group of elders and deacons and other leaders in the church, but anybody's invited to it, and we just spend an hour praying through issues related to our church. It's actually the joy of my life because it's a great day to end the Lord's Day on Sunday night praying with my church family. I go home refreshed on Sunday 
hearing the prayers of our people. I'm not part of your growth groups. I'm not part of your small groups. I'm not part of your Bible study. So I don't hear a lot of the prayer requests that are being shared. And so it's so important to have this interconnection as a church family to be praying for one another, our Father. A few years ago, I was watching Christian television late at night. I don't ever recommend doing that because 90% of what you see is gonna be heretical. And I came across this church and they were singing this song. I think I've told this story before. It was a church in Denver to, to make matters even crazier. It was a mega church in Denver. I won't name the church, but their pastor was under investigation for kind of living an extravagant lifestyle and buying jets and things like that. Um, I think at the time it had 7,000 members. And so I went back on YouTube to make sure I didn't hear this incorrectly. So here's the song, the, this choir, this huge choir was singing, okay? Here's the song they were singing. The song's called It's Coming to Me. Okay, it's coming to me. Kind of had this reggae beat to it. Here are the lyrics to the song they were singing as a church. I want what's coming to me. I want what's coming to me. I want my joy. I want my peace. I want my money. I want my healing. I want my money. And I sat there and I thought, 7,000 people in that sanctuary are singing that song. I want my money. Now, to add insult to injury, this, I'm not joking here. On the they had, their, they had their phone number if you wanted to call their church, okay? You know what the phone number was? I'm not, lo- I'm not j- joking. This is their actual phone number. 1-800-BLESS-ME. It was 1-800-BLESS-ME. That's going to be our new praise song next week, okay? I want my money. Okay. Think about that. I don't even know if they, if they thought about what they're singing. It's so selfish. I want, I want, I want. God, give me what I want. It's kind of like the vending machine. God, you're obligated to give it to me. Give me what's coming to me. Give me my money. Give me my healing. Give me all these things. God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Because it's all about me. It's all about my pleasure. It's all about my happiness. God, you exist to serve me. Lord, I want my money. I want it now. Give it to me. Is that truly the attitude we should have when we approach the living God in prayer? So, how does Jesus teach us to pray? We're only going to look at the first two requests this morning because we're going to go slowly through this. And here's request number one. Father, hallowed be your name. We passionately ask that your name be hallowed. A few years ago when I was studying the Lord's Prayer, I, I, I actually studied the original language and, and I was wrong for many years growing up thinking about the Lord's Prayer. I always thought growing up, this was more of a declaration like they say in the Psalms, like, Lord, your name's holy. Your name is holy, Lord. But that's not what it is in the original language. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying, God, your name's holy. It's not a declaration like in the Psalms. It's actually a request. It's actually a request. It's in the verb tense of a request that's meant to be asked with urgency. So really it's asking, and it's in the third person, Lord, we're asking. We're asking for your name to be hallowed. We're asking this. Now, why does Jesus focus on God's name? Jesus could have said, Father, hallowed be you. There's nothing wrong with saying, Father, hallowed be you. But he says, hallowed be your name. Why the focus on the name of our Father? 
This is a key teaching in the Bible, but all throughout the Bible, God has revealed himself to his people through specific names. And those names of God reveal things about the character of God. The name of God. There are 211 names for God, the Father, in the Bible. When you add Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit in the mix, there's another 489. So there are 700 names for God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in the Bible. The names. Think about the different names you know. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. That's the Hebrew word Elohim. It means God. It means creator. We have Yahweh, the Lord. All caps, the God who exists, the God who causes things to be, the God who has no names. you got El Shaddai, God Almighty, the faithful God, the God who overpowers. you got Adonai, which means master. you got El Roy, the God who sees, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. We could go on and on and on about the names of God. But here's the issue. What Jesus is telling us to do is, is to passionately ask God that his name be hallowed, holy, revered, glorified, magnified. It's a consuming passion that the entire world would know and see and experience the glory of God, the power of God, the name of God. Psalm 30, verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 34, 3. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Psalm 103, 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Psalm 111.9, he sent redemption to his people. He's commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Now, it brings up an interesting question. If this is a request to have God's name be hallowed, does that mean that God's name is not intrinsically holy or he's not powerful or majestic? And so when we're asking this to be done, we're adding something to God. No, that's not at all what's happening. We don't add anything to God, to his name. What we're doing is we're saying, we're, we're expressing a heartfelt desire. Lord, I desperately want your name to be glorified, not only in my life, but in my family, in my church, and really across the entire globe. I want your name and your renown and your fame to be predominant. I want your name to be glorified first. How does Jesus start this prayer? Who's the focus on? Is it the vending machine, God, bless me, I want what's coming to me, or is the focus on our Father who's in heaven? I desire your name to be glorified, your name to be holy. It's all about your name. It's all about you, Lord, not about me. It's about your glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, this first request to have God's name be hallowed is a heartfelt desire, an urgent plea that God would be preeminent in your life, that God would be glorified, that he would be first, that he would be magnified. And not just in your, in your life, but really this is a prayer that God's glory would extend across to the entire globe. We've got some scriptures to talk about God's glory filling the earth. Psalm 72, 19. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Think about that. We just earlier prayed for Afghanistan. That's a part of the earth where God's glory needs to fill. It's not just your little corner of the world, but God's glory would fill the entire earth. Isaiah 6.3, these are the seraphim that were in the, whole, the temple when Isaiah saw the Lord exalted on the throne. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And then Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This prayer fits in nicely to the first aspect of our mission statement as a church. We exist to display God's glory. That's what this prayer is about, the glory of God the name of God, the holiness of God, the splendor of God. The focus is not upon ourselves and what we need first. Jesus says, put your focus on the Lord and his name. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 115.1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Not to us, but to your name, give glory. So that's request number one. Our Father in heaven, we desire your name to be holy, revered, magnified, glorified, not only in our lives, but across the whole earth, every corner of the earth, the glory of the Lord. Now here's request number two. We passionately ask that your kingdom come. Now again, the reason I'm saying we passionately ask is because these are requests and the way the original language reads is that these are urgent, passionate requests of the Lord. We ask that your kingdom come. Now this flows logically from the first. And so let's ask a question. Why isn't God's name hallowed in the earth? Why do people blaspheme God's name? Why do people detest God's name? Why isn't God's name glorified? Why do you hear God's name as a cuss word a lot of times? Here's the answer. Unsaved people are in bondage to the kingdom of darkness. They are in bondage to the kingdom of Satan and sin and death. They've got blinders on their eyes, and they are held captive. And so because they are captive in the kingdom of darkness, they don't glorify God because they are blinded and in bondage. The Bible says this, 
2 Corinthians 4, 3-4, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, those who are, who are perishing, those who are going, going to hell. In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, the devil, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. Satan has put blinders on unbelievers' eyes to prevent them from seeing the glory of Christ. And then Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He's delivered us from where? Where's Christ delivered us? From the domain or the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so what does it mean to ask the Lord for his kingdom to come? What's the kingdom of God and why does it need to come? Well, we could spend a month of Sundays talking about the kingdom of God, but listen to what Jesus says when he's on trial before Pilate. In John 18, 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. So the kingdom of God is not a geopolitical reality, it's a It's a spiritual reality where Jesus comes and rules and reigns in his power. And the Bible speaks of three aspects of the kingdom of God. So it gets a little confusing. There's there's three ways in which the kingdom of God is spoken about in the Bible. And we've looked at this through the Gospel of Luke up to this point. The first is it's a present reality that's already come. It has already come in the first coming of Christ. When Jesus came in the flesh, what did he preach? In Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember when Jesus goes into those villages, what was his message? The kingdom of, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the kingdom has come in the first coming of the king. Now Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. He's back up in heaven. And he rules and he reigns now, secondly, presently, in believers who comprise the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a present reality. Hebrews 12, 28, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom. We're receiving a kingdom, and this is powerful, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Stop and think about that, dear Christian. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Everything in this world is shaking right now. What's the one thing that doesn't shake or totter or topple or fail? It's the kingdom of God. And if you're a believer, you're in that kingdom. And you're secure. No matter what the world may be doing, you're in the king's kingdom. So it's a present reality now. So it came when Jesus came. It's a present reality now. But we also know it's a future reality. This world's still sinful. Jesus hasn't come back. When Jesus comes back, he will establish the ultimate kingdom. The future hope. Revelation eleven fifteen. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. So what are we really doing when we're asking the Lord to bring his kingdom? What are we asking? What are we asking God to do? Have you ever thought about that? We kind of say it, your kingdom come. This is nothing more. I'm going I'm to cough here, so hold on. <coughs> this is nothing less than a burning passion to see those who are trapped in bondage 
to be released from their sin so they too can become part of the kingdom of God. It's a missionary prayer. (coughs) It's a prayer for the conversion of unsaved people. It's a prayer that those that are living in darkness that do not hallow the name of God would have their eyes open to see the true king of kings and they would surrender their life before that king and they would ask him to forgive them of their sins and they too would become children of the kingdom all over this world. It's a prayer for God's gospel advance to go into the darkness. We've seen Jesus preaching the gospel of the kingdom all throughout Luke's gospel. I mean, this is nothing new. In Luke 4.43, he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. I must preach the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom that you need to repent and believe in Jesus so you can become part of the kingdom and submit to the king. That's what we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. We're praying for the gospel to go forth in power. Luke 8.1 Soon afterward, he went through all the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. I will make it through this sermon. We're almost done. (coughs) If I lose my voice. Luke 9, 2. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Is Is this your heart? Is this your request? Think about the nature of these first two requests. The first one is, Lord, we desire your glory to be manifested throughout the earth. And number two, we want to see your gospel go forth in power so people that are trapped in darkness can be released and become believers and become children of of the king. Does Does that categorize your praying? Is that how you start your praying? Remember I said the order is important. It's a prayer for the gospel to go forth. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, he said it, and the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in the harvest field. We looked at this a few weeks ago. So here's the main focus, and don't miss this. Here's the main focus of these first two requests, and the order is important. Our prayers must begin with a passionate desire to be thoroughly God-centered instead of self-centered. Are your prayers God-centered or are they self-centered? Do you start your praying with, Lord, my desire is that your name is hallowed, that your glory is on display, that you're magnified in my life, in my family, that it's all about you. It's all about your majesty. It's all about your name and your fame. And not only that, Lord, my prayer is that your kingdom would come. My prayer is that you would rule and reign as king, that you'd push back the darkness, that my unsaved friends and family members and people that I know that aren't, aren't believers, that are trapped by the devil in darkness, that, that you would burst through and save them and bring your kingdom to light in their lives so that they too would surrender to the king. And the way that these prayers are asked, that Jesus tells us to ask them, there's an urgency to them. It's like Jesus, we're, we're, he says, ask the Lord to do this now. Not like that you're demanding for things from God, but this is this burning passion. We want your name to be hallowed. We want your kingdom to come. We're passionate about it. We're urgent. 
Let me just ask you a question. When was the last time you were truly brokenhearted that God's name was not hallowed? In your life, in your family, in your community, when were you brokenhearted that God's name was not hallowed? When was the last time you were brokenhearted over the lost condition of your unsaved friends and family members and coworkers that aren't in a relationship with Jesus? When was the last time you were brokenhearted over that? Robert Murray McShane said this. He said, "What a thanks, Bob." <laughs> Robert Murray McShane said this, and this is a powerful quote: "What a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. What a man, woman, boy, or child is on their knees before God." That they are, and nothing more. So I'm going to ask us to do something as a church family. If you are physically able to do so, I'm going to ask us to get on our knees before our great God and to put into practice what Jesus has told us to do this morning by praying God-sized, God-centered prayers. Not me-centered prayers, but God-centered prayers. So if you're physically able, I'm just going to ask you to kneel where you're at we're going to go into a time of prayer, if you're physically able. And I'm going to lead us through these. And I just want us to spend time calling out to our great God, being humble enough to be on our knees to say, Lord, teach us to pray. We, we, we don't pray the way we should. You've given us a model. And so let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to give you just a few moments of silence. And then let me lead us through just these first two requests. And would you unite your heart with mine as we pray to our Father. Our Father, we are so thankful that you are our Father, that you've adopted us into your family through the blood of Christ, that we can approach your throne of grace with boldness because of what Jesus has done. We don't approach you as a judge, but we approach you as a Father. And we desire for your name to be hallowed. Lord, break our hearts when your name is not hallowed. Break our hearts when your name is not magnified. Let our first desire be to have you have the preeminent place in our lives. Let us spend time in worship and in praise before we get to asking things. Help us to focus on you, the glory of your name, the power of your name, the majesty of your name. Lord, you are holy. You are separate. You are so other than. And Lord, we are so sinful. The only way we can approach a holy God is through Christ alone. 
So thank you, Jesus, for giving us access to the very throne of grace before a holy, holy, holy Father. May we never take for granted that we can approach a holy God only through Jesus. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. And Lord, we look around at our world and realize it's your kingdom. We want your kingdom to come because people aren't hallowing your name. People aren't magnifying your name. People are living in darkness. People are, are living as blasphemers. People are living as idolaters. People are living in sin all around us, Lord. And so we pray that you would push back the darkness, that your kingdom would come, that Jesus, people would see you as the king, king of kings and lord of lords. They would bow their knee to you. They would submit to you. They would surrender to you. They would, they would come to you in repentance and faith. Jesus, you would release them from the domain or kingdom of darkness and bring them into the, the kingdom of light. So on our knees, Lord, we humbly ask that your name be hallowed and your kingdom come. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory for the sake of your steadfast love forever and ever. Amen and amen. I will be here after the service if you need someone to talk to or someone to give you some encouragement or prayer, but um, I'm 